show. This is episode number 65 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about indie game, The Movie. I'm Mandy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. So, we are starting off on documentaries on uh, Pop Culturally Deprived. We talked back in December when we did uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol that, Mandy, you've not really seen any documentaries? Correct. I think, unless I had to watch them for school, I've never seen one. Okay. And that, I don't think that's that you avoid them. It's just not something you go to. Yeah. I mean, I, I just am such a fiction person that I prefer mm. to escape into fiction. And so I just tend to avoid nonfiction generally. Okay. Um, Got it. Unless it's like Shark Week, Discovery Channel or something <laughs> like that. Um, so we said that we would do a few uh, documentaries during the year and we asked people to give us uh, a few suggestions. And we said that what we, I don't think we're going to do like a documentary season, but we, we said let's do a few during the year um, and pick out the ones that we wanted to do first. Yeah. So you you picked a documentary that you said this is the one that I'm most interested in seeing. And I went, well, that's good, but let's do it after this indie game, the movie, because that's my favorite documentary. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you did. Yes. Um, and I'm the white man, so frankly, we do what I say, you know. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> um, no, this is absolutely my favorite documentary. I, I love a good documentary, and oh, they're a little bit hard to define and a little bit hit and miss. But mm-hmm. when it works well, it's it's something I rave about and always want other people to watch because it's so interesting and rewarding to in, uh, to watch. And this, I think, for me, completely fits the bill. I, I loved it when I first saw it. I then rushed out and bought it. I've shown it to other people. I've lent it to other people. I've told people to buy it. This this is just a, a wonderful film for me. Well, I'm glad we're getting to talk about something that means so much to you. Yeah, so it should be it should be a good, fun conversation. Um, do you want to give us a bit of the history on it before we dive in? Sure. So Indie Game the Movie is a documentary from 2012 by Canadian filmmakers James Swirsky and Lisanne Pajot that focuses on making video games, specifically on indie game developers. It was one of the first feature films to be funded through Kickstarter, raising nearly $100,000 through two successful crowdsourcing campaigns. Premiering at the Sundance Film Festival in 2012, it won the Best Editing Award in World Documentary Cinema. It went on to open in theaters in both the U.S. and Canada, was a New York Times critic's pick, and has a 93% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It was also the first feature film to be offered on Steam, which actually really surprised me when you told me it was available there. Mm. Yeah, so when we talk about where you can watch this, you can go to Steam uh, the the sort of main PC games platform, and you can download this. You can download DLC for it, which is all the sort of disc extras and so on and behind the scenes stuff. Okay, interesting. Fabulous. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, if you are not familiar with Indie Game the Movie, and I imagine most of you are not, <laughs> um, in the words of the creators, Indie Game the Movie is about making video games, but at its core, it's about the creative process and exposing yourself through your work. It follows the struggles of four independent game developers, Edmund McMillan and Tommy Rafaines, as they work towards <laughs> launch day of Super Meat Boy, <laughs> Phil Fish as he develops Fez, and Jonathan Blow, who reflects on his process of developing Braid. So, Matthew, I know we just told everybody that it's available on Steam, but I know you own this one, right? How, how did you watch this one? Yeah, I I have access to it digitally, um, but I also have the three-disc limited edition signed numbered Blu-ray. Of course you do. number 1566 of 3000. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which comes with a notebook and a poster and artwork and all this stuff. Because okay. I enjoyed it so much. I was like, here, have money. Give right. me things. Okay. <laughs> so did you find this before or after the Kickstarter campaign? After the Kickstarter, I didn't back it on Kickstarter, which I kind of wish I had. But equally, I feel like having that disc edition. I like the other Kickstarters I've backed. I've never bought anything from them after it. Okay. So I feel like I've actually ended up with a better version. I just didn't help them fund it. Right. Um, well, I mean, but yeah, I, I had watched it digitally beforehand, okay. and then had enjoyed it so much. It's like, oh yeah, if there's a special edition, I'm definitely getting that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, in in the UK, it's also available on Amazon. So if you need to watch it, it's there. Uh, Amanda, how did you watch it? Um, in the U.S., it is available on Amazon Prime. Uh, oh, cool. I think it used to be on Netflix, but it's not anymore. Um, okay. So it's Amazon Prime or Steam. Yeah. 
It was actually shown on Channel 4 over here a couple of years ago. I can remember it just happened to be with friends in Glasgow and it was on. I was like, oh, we're watching a documentary tonight. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so the, the subject matter of this are three specific games that it follows. Braid, Super Meat Boy and Fez. Do you have any experience or knowledge of those games? Absolutely zero. I had never even okay. heard of any of these. Okay. <laughs> I had a feeling that was going to be the case. Um, g- games in general? I-, I know you have played some. Yeah, so most of my gaming experience is old. Um, I grew up with a Nintendo system and then a Super Nintendo system and was very, very into Mario games and Mario Kart back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, I went to high school and I, all of that stuff kind of fell away. When I was in college, I started playing um, a text-based RPG online, and it's called a MUD, um, and I did that for many, many years and never really transitioned from that to console gaming, and so console gaming now is kind of foreign to me. Okay. Um, I did get an Xbox about a month and a half ago, so I'm kind of getting back into the groove and learning some like first-person shooter games, Okay. Um, but still haven't done anything similar to any of these games. Right. So so having certainly the experience with Mario, the game's style wouldn't have been alien to you? These these are all 2D platformers, in right. inverted commas. Um, right. Yeah, okay. Uh, right, so did you enjoy Indie Game the Movie, your first documentary? Shockingly enough, I really did. I got mm. really super invested in watching these developers go through this process and seeing if they were going to be successful or not. That's good. I'm really pleased. Can you put your finger on anything of why? So you weren't familiar with the people. You weren't familiar with the subject matter. Why did this appeal to you so much? Because they were so passionate about what they do. For them, making video games isn't about making video games. It's about creative expression and putting yourself out there and being vulnerable and using a voice to say something. And so once I realized that, that's not really something I've ever thought about, which I don't know why. I know plenty of artists and creators Mm. who do podcasts and writing and drawing. So I don't know why I ever thought making video games would be different than that. But in my head, they were. And, And so once I got to sit down and watch these people explain what they do and why they do it, it just became very familiar to me. And I really wanted to see someone create something enjoy creating it and then enjoy sharing it with the world does that make sense yeah absolutely i I was going to say you as a podcaster as a blogger as someone who does put content out there you will get this idea about creativity and wanting to do something that other people engage with right you when you think about video games generally you think about the really big money makers like halo or call of duty or something mm. like that. And so you don't think of those as being creative expression. But then you see these indie developers sit down and talk about, like, oh, God, I think it was Edmund talking about Super Meat Boy. And he was talking about how Meat Boy wasn't just meat. He was a boy without a skin. And then he gets all introspective. And he's like, so maybe he's in pain all the time. You know, and you just kind of hear them going mm. really deep down the, the rabbit hole in how their own feelings are wrapped up in this thing that they're developing. And and so it really kind of gave me a new appreciation for something that previously I had thought was just code and graphic design. Right. Nice. So so when it comes to documentaries, I, I mean, we can do this on any film, but documentaries, it's easier to do. There, there's almost two conversations. There's the subject matter, what the documentary is about, and then there's the construction of the documentary how it was put together, how it tells the story. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have either of those that you'd want to uh, jump onto first? Um, I mean, we've already been talking about the subject matter, so let's maybe finish that conversation first. Okay. For me, one of the reasons I want to show this to everyone is because, like I say, it's so it's such an intense look at creativity and putting something out there and, and people who are driven to make something that other people enjoy that might not be to everyone's taste. To the extent that the fact it's about video games is, is pretty unimportant. This could be about indie movie makers, people who do street art, people who write and self-publish books. Mm-hmm. This is about people who believe in what, what they are doing but don't necessarily want to buy into 
whatever system exists around their um, around their industry. Right. And it, it's the fact that what they are putting out is it's for someone so that that, that end user, the, the player in this case, is happy and excited and engaged and enjoying what they're doing. Not necessarily for everyone, but it's something that they, uh, they get a good experience out of. Right. Like I say, that's particularly why I want to show it to everyone and why I want to talk about this so much up front to be... It's it's just wonderful to see how engaged they are with their own productivity, their own creations. But it's as a documentary, it's very good at showing the the darker side of that, or the harder side, not necessarily darker, the harder side of that. That they, I, I think they say in this, they are investing themselves in what they're creating, and you and you can see it writ large on screen about what it's doing to their mental health, to their physical health. Um, the the way even once they've created the thing and released it, it's still like, uh, okay, how many have we sold? What are the reviews like? What are people saying? What are videos saying? Are there any bugs? What are the issues? That the, just they're so in their own heads about it mm-hmm. um, that they can't move on. They can't think of anything else. Right. I I was a, a bit worried in watching it that it's it it is a hard thing to watch at times. I mean, there's there's that really deep moment in the middle where uh, Phil Fish is talking about the the elongated process of making fairs and they say you know what would you do what what would happen if you couldn't finish this game and he he just says bluntly i'd kill myself yeah now i i feel like he's probably being a bit hyperbolic there i don't think he actually would but equally he is a man who lives and goes to extremes so it's it's quite hard to see on screen someone who's that invested in it. it did that come across in the same way to you Oh, it absolutely did. I actually thought for a minute that what we were going to get next was the game never came to completion and Phil really did kill himself. Right. And I was like, they wouldn't actually do they, they would have cut all of Phil's stuff out of this documentary if that's what had happened. Yeah, um, the before, story would have been very different. Yeah, right. But before a moment, I believed that that was the direction the story was going to go because they they focused on it for so long. But now that I've seen the whole thing, I think they focused on it just to kind of show the toll that this kind of dedication can have on somebody. Because they put, I mean, they put blood, sweat, and tears into this kind of work. Mm. And so to even consider that it might not be successful, even though it's not about the success, it's still a really tough thing to deal with. And and you could see it with Phil, it was more apparent just vocally the things that he said um specifically you know he said i will kill myself i will like fucking murder myself or something like that you know and then you see the stress when when he's talking about his former business partner who needs to sign some paperwork or whatever or he's Mm -hmm. never going to be able to release fez and he gets really pretty dang violent um against that guy a panic attack about this i feel like i'm gonna cry throw up and pass out all at once i Everything is all weird. I'm gonna lose my shit. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill him. I'm gonna fucking murder that guy. And it's gonna get everybody in trouble. We're gonna get kicked out of packs or some kind of horrible disaster like that. I, I can't even begin to figure out how I'm gonna handle this. And, and so you can kind of see that, that vocally he's really struggling. But then with, with Tommy and Edmund, it was a little bit different. Their struggles were slightly more internal. Like you could see it on Tommy's face. You could see it in, in, in his demeanor. At, at the beginning of the movie, he was very lively. He was animated when he would talk about things. And then as we got closer to the release, particularly on the day of release, when it didn't show up featured on the Xbox mm-hmm. the way he thought it was, like he just became completely defeated. His whole his body language changed. He just, he looked like a shell of a person and it was really, really hard to watch. And I mean, you could see with, with Edmund and Tommy being in two different places, they couldn't really offer each other the support that they needed. They tried over the phone and stuff and Edmund had his wife, but it was, it was hard. It was hard to watch. And, And I was glad to see that they did end up, I guess, quote unquote, with a happy ending. Mm. Um, But I'm sure that you know, success brought on a whole other set of problems that still meant they had to continue dealing with those issues. Yeah, very, very much in Tommy. Um, w- watching it with my fiance, she, 
she actually engages with Tommy quite strongly in watching the film, mm-hmm. um, in in that kind of uh, maternal instinct, because it's it, he's so broken on screen. It's like, okay, let's get a hot meal into you, get some sleep, let's you know get everything a bit back and balanced, because he's just. You know, this is all he's thinking about. He's not sleeping well. He's not sleeping regularly. He's not sleeping enough. He's not eating enough because he's so worried about money. But he needs to finish this thing to get the money. To you know, there, there is a cycle here of um, of some mental health issues, some element of depression in in what he's going through. Oh, absolutely. Um, when they showed him, it cut. It was like four in the morning, and he was sitting mm. in a Waffle House by himself with a hoodie and a hat on, and he's just sitting in the corner. And he had no food. He had like a cup of coffee or something. And I'm just sitting mm. here thinking, honey, you need to eat. Yeah. Do something. <laughs> um, so I, I totally, totally see where, where she's coming from on that. Mm. And, and Edmund, you have some of the same. I think like you say, his wife being there, it, it makes it a very different story for them. Mm-hmm. And she's actually, it's funny. I, I always think of her as a fairly large part of the story, but she only gets introduced halfway through. Right. Um, but she's an important character in their tale. But you can see the support he's getting from her and, and his sort of uh, mental state is more going deep into, and I don't know that I have the lexicon to actually describe this appropriately, into his demons, his worries, his angst, both through, you know, everything he's gone through growing up and then into trying to make this thing and the, the stress and depression that leads to. Right. He's very good at communicating what he's feeling, mm. uh, which is why I think his experience appeared very differently than Tommy's did, even though they were both going through the same thing because they're working, they're a team, they're working on the same Mm. game and they both have the same fears. Their just approach to it was different. Um, It it felt like Edmund had that support system that Tommy didn't, even though Tommy had his family, we didn't really get to see his family except, gosh, I want to say really only once. Yeah. Yeah. Once or twice, just at the dinner table, but right. Um, so they weren't really a part of his life, but Danielle was very much a part of Edmund's life. And, yeah. and so that was an interesting way to show how these things work. Even I mean, that has nothing to do with video games, but it has to do with life and human nature. And you get to see that very clearly in the way they told the story. Mm. And then, like you say, in, in him being able to talk about this and deal with it, partially because of the people around him. I think it is worth touching on some of the privilege that we see on display in this film. Um, partially, it's, it's that coming from Edmund that he is clearly someone who has has had troubles or a, a troubled youth, in inverted commas. I don't know the details, so speculating on the things he says in the film. Um, but he has found a way to put that into his art, his games, the things that he's making and, and the drawings that we see him do and be able to discuss it on camera in, in quite a very cogent and self-aware way mm-hmm. so that he can he can get across what he's going through and why he's doing this. He's he's actually stable enough, sensible enough, I don't know, but, but to be able to put them in that way. And even Tommy is clearly someone who's quite depressed and, and is finding it hard, but is able to talk about it and understands what he needs to do, but he also understands he needs to get there and it's going right. to be hard to get there. And then on the flip side, you have well, you have Jonathan Blow, who, and the film does bring him in as a bit of a, an elder statesman. You know, he's the one who has released a game. It was incredibly famous, incredibly successful. Um, Braid, they, they do talk about this on, in the film. Braid was one of the first massive successes for indie games. Um, and because he's come from that success, he's able to sit there and talk about the, the sort of deeper philosophical elements of making a game like this. You know, there, there's a whole sequence in the film where he, he doesn't appear at all because it's about the crunch time, the demonstrating the game, the releasing the game, and we're not seeing that element from him. Right. But even making this wildly successful and truly wonderful indie game, he sunk like quarter of a million dollars into it of his own money. Oh, wow. I don't so, think I realized so he, that. Yeah, he, w- he was coming from a, a position where... Although there was a lot on the line, he was able to do that in the first place. He wasn't doing this with free tools and no support and no one else doing the music and the art and so on for him. Um, right. He was able to to get that in. Where on the flip side, you see Phil Fish, who got a grant, lost his partner. And they don't reference this in the film. But, you know, when he's at the convention at, at PAX East and mm-hmm. there's the guy talking to his partner for him. 
and reporting yes. back what's happening. That's the guy who runs Trapdoor Games that basically bailed out Phil's company so they could finish Fez. Okay, I I was a little bit confused about who that guy was because when they showed him mm. um, under his name, it said Phil's new partner. Yeah. And that was all they ever said about him. And so I didn't really know what that structure looked like um, because they very much made it seem like Phil was completely and totally a one-man show. But I don't think he was. I think he probably no. was as far as coding goes, but the rest of it kind of seemed like he did have some people there. Yeah, so I think at the point they needed money, this other uh, Canadian firm called mm -hmm. Trapdoor Games basically bailed them out, but with an agreement of you can keep uh, the, the IP for Fez effectively. It will still be your game, but we will invest in it and you will pay us back the investment. Okay. Plus, you know, whatever. Right, right. Um, which they more than have. Um Because, right. uh, again, it was hugely successful, but we don't get to see that in the documentary itself. Right. Uh, so even there, you're seeing elements of this privilege uh, that they are able to create this art and, and do this thing they want to do, but because of the support they've got in the background, because of things they've been through elsewhere that are supporting them into it. Uh, the, the film does not show us someone who's developing a game on Unity for free that lasts for 20 minutes, that comes out and everyone ignores it. Or it's right. not showing us someone who releases a game and it's hugely bugged and uh, buggy and doesn't work properly or they never finish it. The, these three are all happy stories, although, like I say, what, what we get to see for Fez isn't the happiest. Well, I mean, all I can really think is that the, as soon as they started showing Fez on the screen, like I paused mm. the movie and looked up the game to see if it actually got released because I wanted to play it. Right, yeah. <laughs> So I kind of expected that it was probably going to be successful if that was my reaction to it just from seeing snippets in this movie. Mm -hmm. and, and so I was happy to see that I, I already knew, like, I guess I spoiled myself on this, but I already knew that that, that game did get released and was successful. Yeah. Uh, which was, was pretty neat. And it, it's hard. Spoilers for a documentary can be a hard thing. Uh, particularly like this, where, where it is, it does have a, a narrative element to it. Mm -hmm. and, and not all documentaries do. Some are just an in-depth look at something. There's no point or conclusion to it. Um, but there are, a, 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 and I think a lot on our list, that are, here is a story of this person going through a thing. Right. And and certainly for me, that is the best sort of documentary. The, it doesn't matter what the subject matter is. It's actually a, a story about people. People going through a thing or working together or understanding a thing. Right. And, and that was very much what this was. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's, like I say, why it appeals to me so much. Um, where, like, I enjoyed March, for the, March of the Penguins, for instance. It's fun enough, but it's not got the quality factor that something like this does for me. That okay. it's just a, a thing about, hey, here's what penguins do. Right. So this kind of documentary really does get you invested in the subject. Mm. Like, the mm. people... You know, yeah. I really legitimately wanted to know how everything turned out. And at the end, whenever they were showing, um, Danielle got her hairless cat mm -hmm. and a house. <laughs> you know, I was like very overwhelmingly emotional about it. Like I was so happy for them that that was something that they were able to do because this was so successful. Yeah. Um, and I'm really glad that this story followed them enough that we got to see that. Now, yeah. I know it didn't follow Fez to completion because, you know, Fez still had more delays and it took a couple more years for it to come out. But it was it was nice to see that it seemed like it was going in that direction because it did have a positive reception despite all of the bugginess at the mm. convention. Yeah, and as much as uh, some of that is the way the documentary is telling the story, some of it is Phil just going to 11 is his first reaction to things you know his thing of oh it's got game breaking bugs immediately but people are also spending 15 or 20 minutes playing it so clearly not every time right and clearly not enough to turn people away from that point right yeah <laughs> i've i've played games at cons that were broken and, and i've walked away oh. <laughs> okay yeah so i guess they probably did only show us the few yeah. Where it was super buggy. But they did still show, I mean, there was a line of people waiting mm. to try to play this game. And I, my instinct, I turned to, to Joseph and I said, do people really wait in line at a convention to play a brand new game? Like, that's just is a foreign concept to me. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently I, they do. I look on it as my kind of shopping list. 
like before um particularly the the big Eurogamer event we have over here I tend to go on two days and I get the early access for both days so day one I'm looking at what are the big big games I'm really excited to you know the new Lord of the Rings game the new Batman game the new whatever I'm most excited about and then I'll just have a wander around for a couple of hours and check everything out and maybe chat to people and see stuff and then the next day things I'm interested in that I might want to get eventually I go and give them a demo to decide if I'm going to buy it or not okay yeah that that's a world that's pretty foreign to me <laughs> it's not hugely different to any other con just there's more hands-on stuff okay and and you can usually chat to the developers which is always a bit strange <laughs> hey what do you think of it yeah the 30 seconds I had was quite fun. Thanks. Uh, plus, you really need to shower, dude. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're talking about the end of the, the these stories. Um, I thought it might be worth having a bit of a discussion of what happened next, because that's the other good thing of these. You can usually go and look up and find out what happened to each thing. Um, mm-hmm. And on the, uh, the, the Blu-rays that I've got with my copy... It's even got a disc that is effectively what happened next. It's an epilogue for each person. Okay. So, like, Tommy is now living in San Francisco. He's got his own place. He's got three cars. He oh. has paid off his parents' debt. He he bought them a car when they needed a car and actually flew over to deliver it to them, and, and they were all excited by that. He makes a point of being like, I've got a girlfriend now. <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder if he did get a lot of people like, oh, I want to come and take care of you. Oh. <laughs> uh, Edmund and his wife are yeah they're now they have a house they now have two Sphinx cats um, Super Meat Boy's been hugely successful he's gone on to another game which was even more successful uh, called The Binding of Isaac and, and Super Meat Boy's gone to basically every platform mm-hmm. um, I did say uh, that they are working on a sequel maybe okay. called, it's like Super Meat Boy Forever or something like that it's Okay. In, de- in development. Nice. Um, and Fez did eventually come out and was very successful. It won the Independent Game Award for Best Game, uh, which is like the, the top thing you can get as an indie game. It beats Spelunky, which is wrong, frankly. Frankly. <laughs> Ta- time will either, tell. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And it came out. It did very well. Everyone was very excited. It had a number of bugs, so they patched it to fix the patches, to fix the bugs. Um, The patch introduced a new bug. Oh, no. Which corrupted 1% of users' saves. Um, So people lost some of their games. They took the patch out. They restored the patch without fixing it because it did fix more than it broke. But Microsoft charged... I think it's something like tens of thousands of dollars at that time to release subsequent patches. Like, you can patch once, but after that, you can't uh, keep doing it. And that's a whole thing of they don't want to go through the process of maintaining games long after they've come out or for small patches. They don't want games to be released that don't work properly because they're going to be patched. So I I can understand the point. Um, But Phil ran his mouth about Microsoft on a couple of occasions. Mm -hmm. Um, Once about the way they marketed, he was... Just thought it was terrible they didn't market his game that won this award and is the most amazing game ever, and so on. Um, and then another time about the patch process, which they have rescinded some of that on Xbox One, so he doesn't necessarily not have a point. He just doesn't do it in the best way. Mm-hmm. Indie Game the Movie came out, was hugely successful, was screened at a um, a, a number of different things. Like you say, he went to Sundance, it went to theatres, it was screened at conventions. And I, I think it was the independent games convention where he won the award uh they did a huge q a so all the developers plus the directors plus people in the film uh on stage answering questions and this uh very nice japanese chap gets up to ask a question he says you know he's very proud as a, as someone from japan that uh or as a japanese developer that their games are taking so much from the legacy of super mario super metroid mega man and, and games of that ilk and he asks them what they think of modern Japanese games and what we can learn from modern Japanese um, development. And Phil leans in and says, well, it sucks. Of course he did. He does. And this guy is just crestfallen. And everyone's like, come on, Phil, you know, get it together. And there's a few jokes. And he does say about like, oh, no, it's so like, oh, it does this bad. And it does this bad. And it's just you need to get it together because we're beating you because the Western development's so much better these days. Rah. And Jonathan Blow leans in. He does a whole thing of... 
Okay, but to put it in detail, if you compare the original Zelda that just dropped you on a huge open world and you got to go and discover and you got to find things out and you got to figure out what you were doing and it was just fun but challenging and the new Zelda is tutorial after tutorial. Every single thing in the game is taught to you and you have to dismiss the icon to that tells you about it every single time. It's just, it's hand-holdy, it's slow, it's pedantic, it's very difficult to enjoy playing that game. And he talks about it in detail and they have a very long conversation. And it's it's quite an interesting take on it. And then the next day, everyone's just writing about uh, Phil Fish says Japan sucks, right? <laughs> and just laying in tin for the for this on the epilogue bit on the DVD. Um, he's talking about it and he's saying it's ridiculous that they're taking it this and this way, and it was just a thing. And I'm not racist, but I'm talking about it, and we made some good points and blah 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 blah. And the interviewer says to him, "What do you think about the fact you're what you say is now?" A headline thing that you're now you're so so high profile and he just gives a yeah i kind of like it <laughs> you know i'm getting the sense that you're not really a fan of phil fish i'm not a huge fan i he's really clever he does stuff so well i mean fez is an incredible game it's so clever and so in-depth i just find him hard to like as a mm-hmm. person because he runs his mouth because he um doesn't appreciate the situation he is in and that what he says is important in, in this thing. He doesn't think about it. And he, I think he likes the controversy. And the, the final epilogue for him is they announced Fez 2 three years ago or so now. And then people still had to go at him online. There was a journalist who did a thing about Microsoft's policies and said, you know, Phil said this stuff. But it was done in such a really bad way. They had a massive fight on Twitter. And the next day Phil said, well, I'm going to leave the industry. Sorry, but Fez 2 is never coming out. And Fez 2 was cancelled. Oh my gosh! And and Phil wow. Fish has not done anything in the industry since then, or or not done anything in terms of development. I, as as I understand it, he now supports other indie developers in, in a sort of partnership program. Hmm. But yeah, threw threw his toys out of the pram. Yeah, you know you uh, you don't really get any of that from the footage that they showed you in the movie. I mean, yes, you see that he's very passionate, he's very vocal, and he talks a lot. But really, the only like bad mouthing he did was to his former partner, which was understandable. You know, he was under so much <laughs> stress that it just it didn't really make me think, "Wow, this guy like needs to rein it in." But listening to you talk about these other things that happened since then are making me think, "Wow, Phil, you really need to rein it in." <laughs> yeah, and and like I say, he probably is a great person. He's clearly very, very capable and very good at what he does, but. He's uh, And the problem is, he's so invested in Fez. He talks about it all the way through. Fez is him. He has yeah. created a game that represents him, which is why he can't release it unless it's perfect. Right. And perfection is the enemy of completion. So, And, and it's really funny, the stuff that he says in the way, because, you know, they talk about rebuilding it three times. Mm-hmm. The stuff that he says when he talks about that, it's like, ah, uh, he suddenly realized he could do this with the game because there's... Um, there's a new game plus option, so when you beat it, you can play through the game again, but with sort of more powers, and it, it's it's a different experience the second time. He obviously realized he could do a thing to make that new game plus better, and has to rebuild the game to take into account what gets introduced in new game plus. Mm, okay. And it's like, I really enjoyed new game plus, I didn't need it. The, right. the core experience was good enough. Okay, <laughs> so, that makes sense. Hmm. And there's a great line. One of the epilogue things has him having watched the film for the first time and he takes his glasses off and he's crying and he's clearly really invested in it. Um, and there's someone who has a line of when Edmund watched it, um, Edmund said, I've known Phil Fish for years, but this makes me like him more. Or like, <laughs> I, un- I understand him and like him more because of this film or something. Right. Yeah. So I, I suspect he might be a, a difficult person to love. Mm. but it's worthwhile because he's such an engaged person, such a passionate person. Yeah. I did see that af- after Jonathan Blow saw the movie, he said, there's a lot of crazy in that film and none of it was me. <laughs> but, like, and- he's not the one releasing a game, so it's very easy to be calm and like, oh, let's talk about the ph- philosophy of games. and <laughs> Yeah, because I, I wonder, though, if, if they had shown, if they had had the ability to, like, go back in time and show him as he was developing Braid, he probably would have been just as stressed out and slightly crazy yeah. as these other three guys were. Because you even did, they, they didn't touch on it a lot, but you did get to see 
how his reaction after the game was released and people mm. people loved it. It mm. got great reviews. Yeah. But they didn't get what he was trying to say. And and so he had some trouble with that. You know, he he went to the the blog posts and he commented on all of them and he gained this kind of reputation of of being I almost want to say like a troll because it's kind of what he did. But I understand why he did it. And and so he had a little bit of that in him too because he was so mm. invested in his own game that he wanted people to see it the way that he intended it to be seen. And he forgot that once you release something out into the world, people's own experiences color their perception. And and yeah. he, he struggled with that a little bit too. They just didn't focus on it that much other than telling us that he got this reputation. Yeah. And, and he absolutely did. And... It... There is so much inbraid, I don't think anyone's going to get it in the same way as him. Because it is so both detailed and it never gives you answers to anything. The fact that it could be about a a, a pure Mario-type story. It could be about a couple with a a failing relationship. And it could be about the Manhattan Project making the atomic bomb. Um, (laughs) Okay. It's it's quite a detailed, you know, there's a lot of depth to that game. (laughs) That's interesting. Because honestly, after watching Indie Game the movie, I still don't know what Braid is about. At all, and and so for me, of the three games that they focused on, that one is the least interesting to me, mm. because okay. I don't know anything about it. They didn't tell me anything about it other than you've got this, like, little preppy boy looking dude who just jumps around and stuff. And I think that's the one where you can do a time rewind. But other yeah. than that, I know nothing. Yeah, the the mechanics in Braid are all about time manipulation. But it, it builds on itself as it goes. So the first one is pure. You can rewind time and start again. And then you can rewind time, but it doesn't always work. And then your physical movement is linked to time. And it just adds a new layer on, on each set of levels. And, and that's probably a, a good point to talk about it. Did, did you feel you got an understanding of these games that you knew nothing about just from the documentary? Um, I feel like I did Fez and Super Meat Boy. But, I mean, like I said, with Braid, mm, I didn't. Okay. They just didn't give us enough. But that may be because... I'm not in the target audience for this documentary. This documentary is really for gaming fans. And so they would already have known what Braid was. Braid had already been released. It had already Mm. been wildly successful. And so they didn't need to tell the fans about this game. But these other two games that were still in development and were following that development process, nobody knew what they were. And so we were getting more of that insight from their creators. Yeah. Um, but, But from somebody who doesn't know anything about games they didn't give me enough to really understand that game. Mm-hmm. Um, although I did really enjoy, they kept showing one of the reviews. I, it was the rapper soldier, soldier boy. boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, man, this game's not about nothing. You just do random stuff. And I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, that's probably how I would feel about it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's fine. Like, you know the thing of, it doesn't matter if kids are reading comic books or actual books or picture books or However, just get them reading. It's mm-hmm. a good experience. It's a good thing for expanding your mind. It's almost the same with games. It doesn't matter if someone's playing this game and going, ugh, it's just jumping and rewinding time. Ugh. Like, They're still playing fine. it. Yeah, it's it's good and engaging. Let people enjoy it however they want to enjoy it. Yeah. The, the other thing the film does very, very early on is one of the first things it talks about um, the, the gaming industry in general from a developer perspective. Um, and I think that's very important to give you that grounding. To, to understand it but did it go into enough detail uh was there more that you might have needed to understand that you have eventually googled or looked up no honestly i think the the primary thing that i got out of this was understanding that it's possible for an, a game to be developed by one person or two people that's mm. not something i ever knew before for me when i think of indie games and indie movies i still have always assumed that there was a team it was just a small team you know, whereas these major motion pictures have hundreds, if not thousands of people on them. I mean, you've yeah. seen the credits on the Avengers. You know, you get this indie movie, it's just scaled down. And so it really did kind of blow my mind to understand that these wildly successful games that you really wouldn't know were indie if they didn't tell you were the product of one, two, maybe three people. And I think that's one of the two main things that I came away from this movie with. Okay. And I I don't think I really needed to know any more specifics about the industry other than you've got 
the big players and you've got the indie players. Got it. That's nice. And and that is, uh, again, one of the difficult things for a documentary is how much do you assume your audience knows and how much do you tell them? Mm-hmm. And how do you give them that? Because that's exposition. But how do you give exposition in what's supposed to be a, a non-fiction following of people or watching a thing? Right. <laughs> You, you yeah. can't just have two characters in a lift discussing, hey, so check out that indie game industry. I, I know nothing about that when you tell me. Oh, well. <laughs> well, see, because I think, I think what worked really well in this movie is that they didn't have to tell us because we were experiencing it through the lens of these four people. Mm, true. And so they didn't need to tell us because we could see the struggles that they were going through and we could see their frustrations when they were trying to work with Microsoft or trying to get their game listed on Xbox. You know, we could kind of see some of that dichotomy and experience the the stress and the passion and the engagement without them having to explicitly say those things. Mm, Okay. Is there any part of the film that made you feel... Uh, manipulated or like you weren't seeing a whole picture my first instinct is to say no but then that brings me back to a question that I had that you've already touched on Hmm. while we were watching this I I turned and looked at at Joseph and I said I wonder if they would have still released this movie if these games hadn't been successful Hmm. and so then he looked at me and he said you know they probably filmed more than just these these are just the ones that got picked and I was like oh you know that you're probably right. So mm. why didn't they show us someone who wasn't successful? Um, why are they only showing us, well, yes, this is a struggle, but it does kind of make it feel like if you work really, really, really hard and you put all you have into it, you're going to be successful because that's all we saw. Yeah. You know, we saw their struggles and we saw the, the hand wringing and the depression. But at the end of the day, these people all made millions of dollars mm. and we don't get to see the other side of that. So in a way, it is a little manipulative. It's a little bit too tidy. But on the other hand, they focus very heavily on Phil saying, if this doesn't work, I'm going to kill myself. And so maybe they didn't want to focus on a lot of people who maybe have felt the same way. I don't know. It just it felt biased a little bit yeah if there was someone who was just getting stressed and gave up that doesn't or probably doesn't make a good element to the film if it's that it it released and tanked and was a bad game also that would not be enjoyable and and it would almost be hard to put that against super meat boy with a okay so what's the difference how do we talk about that difference without putting them down given there are subjects and that we're supposed to you know be rooting for them Mm-hmm. Mm. so in in your special edition there was lots of extra footage and stuff did they show any of the other developers that they didn't include in the final release did you get to see any of that um some of but it's mostly incidental i don't think they necessarily followed other developers hugely um okay these were the ones that they had good access for there, there's some um like there's whole things with the guy who made Splunky, Derek Yu, and a few other people are on there. And then the, there's games that this film shows, like there's a, um, a bit of Antichamber and a bit of Journey. I think there are interviews with those developers, but not necessarily as part of it. And I wonder if, if they just couldn't get access to other people. It's, it's, it's quite stark that these are the games that came out on Xbox and were Xbox exclusives for a period. Mm-hmm. And I've not looked, but I would imagine there's at least some sort of thing of Microsoft helping them get that contact and that access if not helping with the funding okay Hmm. okay interesting yeah i mean i i saw somewhere i think it was on their their website specifically that they had shot over 300 hours of footage that got Hmm. narrowed down to just these two hours um and so i felt like there had to be more people that they did follow for a while i just didn't know if it had ever been released and apparently mostly not no, I, I, oh, I'm not sure I'd want to watch 300 hours of you know, Ed and Phil. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the bit that makes me feel manipulated is that whole thing with Phil's partner. Because, mm. um, particularly when the film was first released, the, the disclaimer at the end said, uh, declined to take part. And then it turns out they'd never actually asked him. So they had to change it to, was not asked to take part. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and I, I feel like he's vilified a bit through this. Oh, he was absolutely vilified. Um, and um, I, I can't help but feel sorry for him. But like I say, that's because Phil's personality rubs me the wrong way. So, I think the, the only thing that saved it for me was, one, they never said his name. 
and they never actually explained what happened. No. Um, and so it, it could honestly go either way. It could be that what happened was so bad that Phil is justified in, in being that way, but they don't really want to villainize the guy, and so they're not telling us. Or it could be this guy was right to leave and, and to do whatever he did, but they want drama, and so they're withholding the actual mm. information. We just don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I've, I've read a bit, but uh, I don't think it's ever actually come out, which is probably good. Yeah, I was I was actually a little surprised because in that scene right before the the convention, is it PAX? Is that mm-hmm. what it was called? Mm-hmm. You know, he was freaking out about um, whether or not he would even be able to have the game on display. You know, he he talked about how he was going to put up the booth that he didn't know was going to be able to open, and he might have to just take it right back down. And then the next the next scene, we see him at the convention. Yeah, with just demoing it. And so yeah. <laughs> your, your immediate thought is, oh, that's great. His former partner did sign so he could do this. But then you find out, no, he just decided to do it anyway. And that was a little bit of a dick move, I think. Mm. And and they weren't super clear in how they portrayed that. Yeah. yeah. It all works out, at least. Yeah. I mean, he did eventually decide to sign. And as far as I can tell, it was a good deal for him because he still got money. Yeah, I imagine he got something of the profits from the game. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Okay. Um, is there anything that stood out to you watching this? Is there anything that you'd say? And it's really hard to say, like, oh, what are your favorite moments, favorite lines, favorite uh, performances? But is there anything that you would say is your favorite aspect of it or something that's that's going to stay with you when you think about other things like this? I think there are probably two things. I mean, mm. I, there are four things I'm going to talk about, and two of them are just funny little things that okay. I thought were cute. But the other two, I think, are, are things that made me think. Um, one was something Edmund said, um, because I relate so heavily to it. And it falls along the, the same lines that you were talking about, where he can communicate how he feels and why he does this so, so well. Mm. He said, My whole career has been me trying to find new ways to communicate with people because I desperately want to communicate with people, but I don't want the messy interaction of having to make friends and talk to people because I probably don't like them. And I was just like, yep, hmm. dude, you and me, we are on the same page. Deep. Yes. <laughs> is, is, that, is that one of the quotes they've got at the beginning and end of this? Um, I only I've... remember it at the beginning, but okay. it, it could have been in both places. Yeah. I think they've, they've got it in twice because it, it's a nice setup. To sort of introduces this person then when you get all that experience with him and all that time with him and you come out you're like god it really is you know he's insightful yeah. this dude yeah <laughs> yeah um, have you have you seen a beautiful mind i have okay because I, I watched that this week i'd never seen it and, and that quote reminds me of that film very much that not quite knowing how to act on a par with people but mm-hmm. trying to you know put on the mask of non-optional social niceties right <laughs> yeah yeah the other thing that I really liked was more of a like specific to gaming thing. Mm. Um, we got to see when Jonathan Blow was talking about how he went from idea to concept to prototype to final product. And then they actually showed us side by side what his original prototype for Braid looked like, mm. which very much looked like one of those old like flash games from like 1999 or something. And then you get to see the final product next to it and seeing how similar they are. Like his original concept was so fantastic that most of what he had originally made it into the final game. It just mm. got elevated in how it looked and and maybe a few other ideas. But I really liked that they did that, that they showed us that because it, it's a visual representation of this process. Yeah. And, and you didn't get to see as much of that with the other games. We saw it a little bit with Fez. Um, especially when Phil started talking about how he got better at pixel art mm. and they showed us, you know, what it looked like before and what it looked like when he redid it and that sort of thing. Um, but we didn't get to see anything remotely close to what we saw with, with that visual representation of Braid. And I really liked that they included that. Yeah. And, and the way they do it so graphically of, okay, here's basically a screenshot of the prototype and we're going to take out the background elements and drop in the new background then we're going to drop out the foreground elements then we're going to drop out the characters and just mm-hmm. each element gets replaced sequentially it's like wow that really works mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah it's great mm. I, I would imagine it's quite useful when you have access to the original assets that, that they probably got from Jonathan Blow <laughs> right yeah 
Um, I mean, we got to see a few like drawings from Super Meat Boy with the saws mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, but that I I almost think that that was more of the the film developers doing that to give us something visual while Edmund was talking about the mechanics yeah. of the game. Like I don't know for sure that those renderings came from Edmund, or if that was just used to graphi- graphically express what he was talking about. But it was nice to have that visual representation. Hmm, I'd agree. Um, and then, you know the other two things that really just made me laugh was. Um, Tommy was talking about sort of the modern games that are different and they're really super popular that are from the bigger conglomerates. Specifically, he was talking about Fallout and Modern Warfare and he said they were shit games. Was it Halo? Halo, not Fallout. Okay. Then it was Halo. He was specifically (laughs) talking about Modern Warfare and Halo and he called them shit games. And it just made me laugh because it's like the arrogance of this guy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There is something in that that's like, okay, but millions of people do enjoy it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you can't just denigrate the thing. Like, if it's not for you, that's fine. But if you want people to enjoy your thing, you have to say they're allowed to enjoy other things. <laughs> right. Because it's almost like he's saying the people that he wants to play his game are stupid because they're playing this other game. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it did, it did take me by surprise a little bit, but I loved that he was so confident in what he had to say about it. Yeah. And <laughs> it, it is it is a good moment. It does uh, stand out to to put you in the scene of what's going on in in the games industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it it felt very much like an us versus them thing mm. at times. Um, they didn't focus on that uh, because they were focusing so specifically on these games. Yeah. But at times when they were comparing and they were talking. About And I think most of it did come from Tommy and Edmund because they're the ones who were dealing specifically with Microsoft and they were the ones trying to get their game on Xbox One. And it did feel very much us versus them. Like, they're trying to keep us down. Oh, we're never going to work with them again. But it's understandable. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. And and it it is... uh, You do see this in other industries and other fields. The way that people who like... Uh, documentaries and foreign cinema and independent cinema look at Hollywood or the way, you know, people who appreciate proper art, portrait art, look at, mm-hmm. you know, Banksy. <laughs> or, or comic books, almost better. Right. And popular art. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Ooh, Jack Vetriano. Ooh, no. <laughs> uh, what about you? I mean, I know you love this whole movie. You've, you've seen it a lot. You talk about it a lot. You want people to watch it. What is it that really resonates with you? What sticks out to you um there's two things that i wanted to to talk on um one one like you it's just a sort of funny one which and this is how i know it's um it's halo in the earlier one because super meat boy gets reviewed at the same time as the new fallout game and mm-hmm. there's a whole sequence of edmund being like it, it's weird that we're launching the same time as fallout and that we're getting reviews that are better it's weird and that's a game that i'm going to be buying it's weird <laughs> It's pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> and he's just yeah, so... No. Like, I'm watching that like, is it, Edmund? Is it weird? Is it really weird? Oh, it must be so weird for you. Yeah, there we go. It's great, isn't it? You love it. <laughs> <laughs> it can be weird and awesome at the same time. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine, though? That would be like... Oh, I, I can't even think. That would be like our podcast getting better reviews than... I don't know, whatever the top movie podcast is out there and then being like, oh, but I subscribe to that one too. Yeah. You know, it's, I totally, I get it. If something like that happened to us and like we were somehow compared to the big league people, it would be really fucking weird, but it would also be pretty <laughs> fucking awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, his, his honesty and his vulnerability really made him relatable, I think. Mm. Yeah. And then there's Jonathan Blow. Like I say, he spends his time uh, doing a bit of an elder statesman type of thing, philosophizing about the industry and the nature of development and what it means in the big picture and all of this. But uh, he has a quote at the beginning and end of the film, and it's one that I've used. It's such a strong metaphor that I've used it in talking about everything. Do you remember when we talked about Rent, you found that video of the guy... Uh, talking about the scene, and he talked mm-hmm. about how uh, visual media, particularly cinema and art, it cannot deliver nuance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is exactly the sort of thing that I'm thinking that's almost accounted to that. Uh, Jonathan Blow talks about how uh, game, what game companies do is create highly polished things that serve us as 
that serve as large an audience as possible. The way that you do that is by filing off all the bumps on something. If there's a sharp corner, you make sure no, that's not going to hurt anybody. And it's such a strong thing of, yeah, you make it smooth, you make it accessible, you make it so that there's no chance that anyone is going to get to a point in the game and go, I don't know what to do here, I've not learned the right thing, I've not picked up the right key. You just, you make it a straight corridor with an auto-targeting system that just throws enemies at you and you're almost indestructible, that kind of mm -hmm. thing. And it's, yes, that is a way to make it and it is hugely accessible and it, it will make you money and give you a, a possibly short-term enjoyable experience. But you can absolutely have sharp corners on things. You can have something that will jar people and go, no, no, it's throwing me out or I've not engaged or I've not enjoyed that or, oh, I've cut myself in this sharp corner. But other people will go, but I loved it. I want that challenge. I want that element of discovery. I want that element of not knowing what's going to happen. I've just got to understand it myself. Mm -hmm. And you can do that in cinema. You know, and there are, there is independent cinema. There are documentaries. There are things like this that are, can deliver a lot of nuance and not everyone will like that because people don't always want something that you have to think about or that it's complicated or hard. But you can still do it. There are still ways of delivering this. And that's what the, the indie game scene does, the indie movie scene does. As, as part of the point of it is delivering messages that are not for everyone, but you try to find your audience. Right. I love that metaphor. That's I have used that so many times in so many, in so many ways. It's perfect. Oh, good. I wonder how long he's spent coming up with it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, because he had some good things to say. He wasn't on screen that much because mm. they were focusing so much on the development of the other games. Um, but I, I still remember when he was talking about why he made a game. You know, yes, it was a game to say something. You know, Braid was intensely personal for him. Mm. But he was also making it to speak to the world. He said something like, you have to be vulnerable, and if you don't see a vulnerability in somebody, you're not relating with them on a personal level. Mm -hmm. And and things like that, just, just seeing how games are so much more than just games to these developers was a really nice insight, I think. Yeah. Just because you forget about that kind of thing when you're just playing a game, because you're playing a game to have fun. You want to beat it, um, and you don't always think about what went into the making of that game and, and what the creators were trying to say. And so to have them remind you of that, I, it was just really nice and I, I liked it. Hmm. And, and yeah, very much what gets presented to the outside world of games are the, the Call of Duty games, the FIFA games, the, the, the ones that come out every year, Assassin's Creed, things like that. And those are absolutely sanded down so there are no bumps, there's nothing that's going to be difficult about them but it's going to be this huge hundred hour experience if you want to sink your time into it mm -hmm. and, and that's great there are people who want to do that there are people who want to play multiplayer who want that level of engagement they want to buy one game a year and know it's going to give them 60 hours of content mm -hmm. i'm just completely in this camp where i'm like if i if i look up a game and go it's critically rated and it's a, a two to five hour experience a hundred percent i want to play that game I want a short, contained experience that I will go away and think about forever. And Braid, Fez to a certain degree, games like uh, Journey and Brothers, yeah, they they are some of the best things I have ever played, more so than all the time I've spent with FIFA games, with Halos, with uh, things that I've enjoyed playing, but just didn't have the depth of experience. Okay. Good. I just don't <laughs> have the experience of games to know. <laughs> Well, okay, so are there any of these games that you are going to go and seek out now? I am really interested in Fez and Super Meat Boy. Okay. Like, I kind of want to find them and and at least try them out just to see. Yes. They looked really cool, and I liked kind of the story behind the game that like that's motivating it. Like, the idea that there's this character who is a 2D character, has always seen the world in 2D, and all suddenly realizes it's 3D and everything rotates. Like, mm -hmm. that's amazing yeah like, i want to play that i want to see that experience on the screen yeah and it, and it is the the way they then turn that into a series of puzzles for several hours and then some of the other puzzles in the game that are incredibly well crafted it that is a phenomenal experience that is worth doing so super meat boy i've not played through to completion because it is an element of 
physical memory of what button to press where to get through exactly the right timing and, mm-hmm. and do it all perfectly to, to finish each level in sequence. And it's, yes, I could invest the time to learn how to do that, but that's not an experience I want for my games. I want the, the narrative experience of going through something that makes me think and feel in a different way. Initially, I wasn't interested in Super Meat Boy at all. Mm. Like when, when they started talking about it, I was like, that doesn't sound that interesting. I mean... The villain is a fetus in a jar wearing a top hat and a monocle. It's a boy with no skin. His girlfriend is made of bandages. I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> like, I don't know. That's just too weird for me. But then the experience of watching them go through this process and talk about what the game means to them and why they did things the way they did really made me intrigued. And okay. that is what made me want to play the game more than the game itself. By the end of it, I was thinking, wow, that does sound really interesting. And it may be that I play it and I hate it, but I at least want to give it a try. Yeah. Play it at least enough to get an idea of, okay, I can see what the game is. Good. Yeah. 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 Um, And it's funny because Braid is the one I would would tell you to go and play. Okay. Yeah, that's the one that has appealed to me the least, but this is the one they told us the least about. Mm. It's it's a very smart game. Fez, Fez is very clever. Braid, I think, is smart. It's it does some very interesting things, and like I say, it does interesting things with the narrative. When you get to okay. the end and the final level, does what it does at the end, you're like, oh wow, oh that's interesting. That puts a whole different spin on everything I've just done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fez uh, Fez is quite funny because it's again huge num- huge amount of hours you can put into it to do every puzzle, and I started doing that, and I had a notebook, and I was writing down to try and figure things out and it was like I'm spending hours doing this and I'm not enjoying myself anymore so I just looked up the puzzles and finished it okay which I know is is cheating in inverted commas right but I, I just wanted the experience of playing it I didn't want the time sat there thinking right okay yeah. in the same way we curate our experience with movies and games and tv mm-hmm. and so on absolutely you have to do it mm. in the way that you're going to enjoy it otherwise yeah. there's no point hmm and it gave me more time to play Splunky, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to go look this game up. Ah, it's amazing. I I can I, tell. I, it, it, the game itself is 30 to 40 minutes long, and I've probably spent mm, 90 to 100 hours playing it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Matthew Gush is about games. Um, one last question that I had for you. Okay. Uh, there was the, this whole thing that we talked about where Jonathan Blow was looking himself up online. He was going back and commenting on articles about him and about his game to, to give insights and say, you know, you missed the point and stuff. If he ended up listening to this podcast, um, is there anything you'd want him to have taken away from our discussion of it, your enjoyment of this, of, of the way we felt about the film? I think the primary thing that I would hope that he got from this conversation is that Gaming is very personal on both sides of the fence, both for the people who are creating it and both for the people who are playing the games. And so, you know, we're all humans who have our own experiences and our own perceptions of things. And so we may not see things the same way that the creator did, but that doesn't mean that we don't still enjoy it. And I I think that's what's so awesome about games is that everybody can play the same game and have a different experience. It's like reading a book. You know, they say no two people ever read the same book. I would argue that no two people ever play the same game mm. when it's a game that isn't polished to the nth degree so that everybody can get from start to finish the exact same way. You're still going to have your subjective experience with it. Yes. Mm. Yes. Okay. What good. about you? I would want to apologize for not having played his follow-up yet. I'm waiting for it to come out on Switch. Okay. <laughs> um, I did buy it on PC, but it didn't run on my PC very well because I've got an all-in-one. Oh, okay. So, uh, um. I will say that that, that watching this movie and having this conversation with you has made me want to play more games and, like, experience more of this. Mm. I mean, I've kind of always wanted to because I've always kind of felt like I'm missing out on something by not. Um, But but seeing just how much passion and love is put into these games by the creators, it makes me want to experience them. It's the same reason I like to read or I listen to my favorite podcasts. It's it's because I enjoy the creators and I want to see what they're doing. Mm. And that is making me want to do that with games, particularly indie games more specifically, because Mm. now that I, I can kind of put a face to it and realize, oh, those are actual humans who are doing this. Mm hmm. 
Um, so yeah, yeah. Well, well, I mean, we'll see if I actually do because who has <laughs> time, time to yeah, play right. games? But I, I want to. Yeah, and and you can see why this idea of this kind of uh, you know two to ten hour experience. I'd so much rather play lots of indie games than a hundred hours in Final Fantasies, Elder Scrolls, FIFA, Dark Souls, anything like that. Right. I, I just want to go and play different things that that do something that I've not seen elsewhere. And the other good thing about indie games is quite often there's uh, I, either diaries or commentary available online, and, and there's started to be, particularly for PC, effectively diaries in-game. There's a few that I've played where, as you go through, you can activate activate the developer's diaries to get insight into what they've done on a different level. Mm-hmm. And that's always quite interesting, like a, a commentary track. So you might enjoy that as an insight on the process. Okay. Mm. Well, if you would like to join the conversation, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. You can find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Vose. Don't forget to check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. Uh, we are completely funded by our wonderful listeners and patrons, so anything you can give gives you access to exclusive content and helps to support the network and all our shows. Don't forget to check out our homepage, eloquentgushing.com, where we have a weekly newsletter that gives you uh, information about the upcoming shows, and you can get episodes of everything we're covering. We'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll talk about our next documentary, For the Love of Spock. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And what's taking so long, Phil? Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, visit eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.